you're very welcome along to Tradcast with Therese McInerney in association with the Arts Council of Ireland. Today's episode is all about the process of making a traditional music or song album. This episode is suitable for anyone who's interested in knowing what's involved or if you've already made an album and you're wondering are there any other things that you could take on board for your next one. Because there's so much involved in the album making process I'm splitting this podcast theme into two parts because I don't want to overwhelm you with information and make you feel like it's an impossible task because if you take it one step at a time it all gets done. So today's podcast part one is about pre-production and part two which will be next week's episode is about post-production. I want to start this episode by saying thank you so much for all the support after last week's program. I've been doing radio a while now but this is my first time doing a podcast and it's a completely different ball game. It's a lot more personal and I find it a lot easier to speak about tunes and albums and history of songs and all that but I do think the mood in traditional circles is changing at the moment in particular and people are starting to talk a bit more and hopefully starting to ask for help when needed because what I've really learned of late and as I get older is that chances are no matter what situation you're struggling with chances are that there's a lot of other people who are going through the same and there's a lot of people who are delighted to help you just have to ask. Thank you for all the reviews that came in from Apple Podcasts during the week as well. I'll just read out one or two. Fui Gyasa said, I don't know of any other industry podcast in the traditional music world. This one is honest, personal and clear as a bell. The free sharing of your own experiences is what makes this podcast useful. Looking forward to the next one. Thank you very much to Fui Gyasa for that and one from uh, Cida Brune there. Great to see such wonderful, simple words of wisdom. Looking forward to more advice and suggestions and uh, if you'd like you can leave a rate or a review on Apple Podcasts. You just have to scroll down to the end of the episode and you'll see it there and I really appreciate each and every one of the reviews, ratings and shares. It brings it to more people's attention and I really want this podcast to be helpful and of use to you. Which brings me to today's topic and that's producing an Irish traditional music album. Now I've done one solo album myself and I've appeared on a few guest albums so I'm not claiming to be an expert but I've got a lot of great advice and did a lot of research when I was making my album and I've helped a good few people since because there is so much involved. I've also done a lot of research this week and I've been on the phone with lots of traditional artists who've made albums in recent years, singers, solo artists, people who've made duet, trio and band albums. So I'll be including their advice and reflections of their own experience in this episode also. Because of my job as a traditional music radio presenter, I've also got most of the traditional music albums that have been brought out in the last couple of years. So I know the common trends and I'm not going to say mistakes, but just a few important things that people leave out that you might want to keep in mind for your next album. I was just out of college when I made my album and I had plenty of time to dedicate to it. I also had a practice run during my master's in the traditional music performance uh, in UL and we did a recording project so I wasn't going into the situation completely green. I got everything done in about three months but it was a very stressful three months at times and full on so I would definitely have to leave myself a little bit longer next time I do an album. Now I'm not going to go into talking too much about the contents of the album because that's so 
personal and each to their own. I absolutely love the fact that traditional music and song albums are different and unique. So the only thing I'm going to say about that is absolutely forget about pleasing anyone except yourself. The minute you start getting caught up in what you think other people are going to expect from your album, that's when disaster is going to strike. So stop thinking, oh, I have to finish on a set of reels or I have to have this person on the album with me or anything like that. The most important thing is that you like your own album. And if you do, chances are everyone else will as well. If you're not sure where to start, get a pen and paper and write down your favourite tunes and songs and it will flow from there. A tip that came up during the week from a fellow artist was to listen to other music and albums, not to copy, but just to get an insight into how music is arranged and analysing and researching music, songs, instruments, keys. It's all a huge part of the process after you've picked the tunes and songs because it's easy to solely get caught up in what you're doing. But if you're making a solo album, you have to decide what you want everyone else to do as well. And a step that's so easy to forget about that I hadn't even thought to mention it myself. So let's just say you have a very clear idea in your head of what you'd like to do and the timing is right. What would be the harm in putting in an application to the Arts Council for the DESH Recording and Publication Award? The deadline for that this year was April 2020. So if you want to apply for that, you would want to get going early in the new year or by at least February. We could do a whole other podcast and I intend on doing another podcast on the various traditional arts funding available. But please know that it's a very highly competitive award. So see it as a bonus if you get it, but don't depend on it. I didn't get it for my album, but it didn't stop me. Other artists very successfully use the Kickstarter or other online funding pages where essentially people buy the album ahead of time or pledge support and artists offer merchandise, compositions and gigs in return. My one bit of advice for this situation is don't hound people, especially your friends and family, with private messages looking for money. Ask them maybe to like and share if they can. But I remember I interviewed a singer on one of my radio shows last year and he told me that he actually hired someone who was an expert in marketing on Facebook and this expert paid for himself really because he was so good they would never have raised the amount of money that they did only for him. He knew how to use the Facebook algorithms to their advantage and how to market properly. For example, offering an insight or giving your audience something like weekly videos and updates, sort of like a virtual backstage pass to your gigs. And I actually interviewed this artist on location before one of his gigs. And I remember after his sound check, he said, oh, before I start, I must do a quick video for the gang on Facebook. And to me, it just seemed like he had thought about his fans and I was really impressed. So when it comes to marketing or looking for funding, try to change your mentality from a sense of entitlement and what people can do for you change that and start thinking about what you can do for your fans and followers and for our culture and things will start to change for you. Now, if any of these don't appeal to you and money is still an issue, see if you can borrow the money from family or something like a credit union, because after a few months of launches, you will have the money made back and break even if you put in a nice bit of effort and aren't afraid to put yourself out there. I did my album in 2017 and if you ask me, are there things I would change if I could go back? Yes, of course. But do I regret doing it? Absolutely not. It's the most wonderful feeling when you have your physical copy of your album in your hand, which brings me to my next topic. Are physical copies gone? No, not in traditional music, in my opinion. Now, don't go ordering 2000 copies unless you intend on doing some serious touring in Ireland and abroad. But we'll touch on that again next week when we talk about post-production. But in my opinion, you should go into this with the intention that you'll have both physical copies and download options available. 
Now, I know some of you are diehard Spotify fans and won't agree with that, but I'd love to hear from you whether you agree or not. So once you've an outline done and what's going to be on the album, you need to contact any musicians you'd like to hire. If they're professional musicians, you figure out the dates they're available and ask them their fee. Now, in trad music, you can have a lot of, ah, no, you're grand, no need to pay me, especially if you're friends with them. But I don't accept that. If they're spending hours in a recording studio with you, be very clear that they will be paid for their work. And you'd prefer it if they told you what they expect to get and have it all worked out, preferably in writing. Now, I know this is the legal head in me coming out, but it's great if you can have everything in an email and make sure all payments are made via bank transfer so you have proof of payment. And it'd be no harm to say that this fee is going to include a few practices and launches as well. I know you might be saying, oh, Therese is getting very serious now, but from studying law for all those years, I know from Irish case law in all areas of life, business, sport, things can go sour sometimes. The majority of the time, if you're doing a solo album, things are fairly straightforward. When things become messy is when it's a duet or trio album and especially group albums. It happens way more than you're aware of. Just in trad music, it gets brushed under the carpet or not spoken about. You need to have that conversation. You need to put things in writing when you're dealing with other people, at least in an email. This isn't to scare you or turn you off. It's a very small thing that will give you a huge amount of protection in the future. So keep all correspondence, payments, receipts, keep them in a folder. And if you're dealing with a group situation, have a little contract. You might never need it, but it's good to know that you're all on the same page because you could have a situation where there's four people in a band and three of them might be seriously ambitious and they want to invest a lot of time and money in the album and the band. They might want to tour the world and you just might want to do it for fun and didn't realise the intent. So it just hashes everything out and you can go into any situation knowing all the details. We'll go more into depth with this in another podcast. If that's something you're interested in, let me know. So you have your musician sorted. The next thing you need to book is the recording studio. Now, this came up when I was talking to other artists during the week that a bit of research into your studio is very important, that it gels with what you do. If you're a traditional or a folk singer and the studio down the road from you is more used to dealing with country and Irish or pop, you might need to think about going slightly further. If you're not sure where to go, listen to some albums produced in each of the studios and you'll notice a difference, I promise you. Now, another thing is if you're recording an album in Cork and you want a backer who lives in Belfast, there might be two studios or remote recording involved. But let's just say you've decided where you want to go. Get a quote and book that again by email so that everything is in writing. Now, I spoke to several artists during the week from all different areas of the tradition, singers, soloists, Kayleigh band members, people who'd recorded duet and trio albums. And every one of them said in a different way, in some ways that I can't say over the podcast. But the first thing they all said when I asked them what their top tip was going into recording studio was to make sure you're so well rehearsed and tight going into the studio. And it's amazing the amount of people who said they regretted not having a tighter going in the first time and I suppose time is money when it comes to a recording studio as well you're paying by the day or you're paying by the hour so um, you might think you play so well with someone in a session but it's completely different ball game going into a studio
studio. Now, another tip that came up was to record yourself and get used to hearing yourself, even if it's on a phone, because you're going to have to get over yourself fairly quickly if you're like me and going in to record your first solo fiddle album with very little recording experience and you're coming out devastated that you don't sound like Frankie Gavin or Carl Hayden or someone. But by recording yourself at home first, it helps you get in touch with reality a small bit and accept yourself for where you are right now. There's also the option if you're completely uncomfortable in studio to have the studio come to you in a place you feel comfortable with. And if you want that really clean cut sound, a recording studio really is where you need to be. But if you'd prefer something a bit more raw, old style or a live sound, that's definitely an option to consider. I recorded a good few tracks on the late great Tom Carey's album and we did that in Walsh's and Cree, a famous traditional music pub in West Clare that Tom was comfortable in. And other musicians I spoke to during the week, they did the same thing because they were much more comfortable. So keep that in mind. So we're going to move on now to the nice, less scary part of the album, in my opinion anyway, and that is the design and the notes of the album. So my number one tip with that is get professional photos done. You won't regret it. You'll use them so much and I don't care how good the camera is on your phone. There's nothing like professional photos. And for the album design then, what I did was I looked through all the different traditional albums I had and I picked out a few I liked and I checked to see who did theirs and got in contact. And you need never meet the person who designs your album that's all done by email as well. They should send you lots of options and you can pick your favourite and be careful with the colour that the writing is very clear and visible. A bit of advice given to me by a band member that tours very successfully in the States is that people like to see your picture on the front cover. It helps massively with sales. They tried to be very clever with a cool design on one of their albums and it was left unsold. People wanted the other album as it had their picture on the front. So that's just something to keep in mind, especially if you intend on going abroad. Something else that might cross your mind is to get a barcode from the duplication company, the people who print your album, they should be able to provide you with one and it just makes it easier for shops to sell your album. Duplicators, you may ask, there's plenty of them. Just check the back of other albums for recommendations and get a quote from a couple of different ones. There can be a massive difference in the price per unit. And this is another reason why I love getting the physical copy of albums because you've all this information that you can get from other people's albums that you just don't get from the streaming services. Another big thing then is if you're using someone else's tunes and songs, make sure you ask them. It's just common courtesy and make sure you give them a credit for it as well. Now, the notes of the album, this is so important. This is where the biggest and most common mistakes are made that I see in albums that come into the radio station. Don't submit the notes of the album to the designer until you've got someone to check it for you and until you're totally sure that you're not going to change the order of any of the tunes. I almost made a huge blunder in my album. So what happened was last minute I changed around a set of jigs. I wasn't happy with them. So I went back into the recording studio last minute and changed the order of the tune. So I just swapped the first and the third jig but I forgot to change it on the album notes and last minute I noticed it and I just got to change it. But a day later, a couple of hours later, it would have looked like I was claiming a Finbar Dwyer tune as my own composition. So I would have been mortified. So double check everything to make sure that you've got the copyright symbols and everything in place. Now for the final part of the podcast, I'm just going to pop on my radio presenter hat for a minute and tell you a few things that make life a lot easier for us if you want your album played on the radio. Please put your timings 
on the back cover. I'm not going to go into detail now, but it's so important for radio presenters to know at a glance how long the track is. And don't be afraid to put in very long or a very short track. I absolutely love to see them. Sometimes I need to run out of studio for a minute and I'll put on a six to eight minute track or else uh, I might need to just fill under two minutes. Uh, And don't do that just on purpose now that I've said it. But if it works out like that, that you have an extra short or an extra long track and you think it won't get airplay, it will. Unless you're talking about 15 to 20 minutes now, that might be pushing it a little bit. Also mention to your engineer or whoever's recording the album to put the track names in so they appear when, say, you put your CD into the car CD player. That's if your car still has one, that is. Now, this doesn't always mean that they'll appear up on iTunes. So make sure your album tracks are submitted into GraceNote if you're not putting them up as a digital download straight away. I can't tell you how annoying it is when I'm uploading a CD onto our radio system and the track names don't come up. I don't have time to rename them all or to do your job and add the artwork. So I'll just name one or two if I really want to play the album and I'm more likely to forget about the album if that's not done. So I'm going to take off my hat again because I think that's more than enough information for one day. I hope you found that useful and it gave you an idea of what's involved during the recording process and getting your album ready to go to print. Next week, we're going to chat about post-production and we're going to talk a little bit about mixing and mastering, record labels, how to get airplay for your album and marketing techniques. We'll chat a bit about PPI and IMRO as well. I'd like to thank all the artists I spoke to during the week who contributed to today's programme and gave invaluable insight into their experience in the recording process. If you've questions or comments, please get in touch. Therese McInerney Music and Media is my social media name and thresemcinerney.com is my website address. I'd really appreciate it if you can rate and review the episode on Apple Podcasts if that's an option for you or pop me an email and tag me in your comments and next week I'll be giving away a free copy of my album to one of you. Until next Friday, from me, Therese McInerney, Slong of Fall. Thank you.